down through the years, I go back, especially in the early years, there was a familiar story that just kept happening over and over and over and over and over. And uh, it's like, it still probably happens today, I'm sure it does, but it's when a young man or a young lady, it doesn't have to be young, but it's whenever I was younger, so I use that, but um, they're witnessed to by a Christian, and they uh, tell them about peace and happiness and joy and purpose and meaning in life. And that's correct, and that's true, that's right. That's the way it is when Christ comes into your life. And so the person may get a little interested in that. And they invite that person to receive Christ. And uh, at least they say, well, think about it. So they invite them to a Christian concert. I did that many times. <laughs> over and over and over, and I'd still do it. I'm not making fun of any of this. I'm just saying it's kind of funny how it always worked out, though, much of the time. Uh, you know, an invitee sees uh, people at that concert that kind of look like him. They dress like him. He says, well, maybe they're not so weird after all. Christians always seem to be the weird guys, right? But um, So he said, maybe not all Christians are really that weird. And then the concert becomes somber and there's an invitation given to walk the aisle, make a decision for Christ. And a lot of people come down and say yes to Christ. And uh, this individual walks down says yes to Christ. As the emotions over took him that that evening and the basics of the gospel were explained to him and was led through the sinner's prayer all this sounds familiar to uh, many of you uh, many of you maybe not as the weeks went by he um, really didn't he went to church but then kind of quit going he would, you know, stay out light late on the Saturday nights, and of course Sunday morning it was hard to get up, so he didn't come. But on the college campus, they had a Bible fellowship group, you know, Bible study, and that kind of thing. And he met a lot of nice people there, and uh, a lot of people that he could identify with, and it seemed to be that life was going very, very well. And then, just like that, his mother got a disease very serious disease and he asked his group that he was with to pray for her and they did she got worse and then she passed away well they'd been praying and it seems like God didn't answer the prayers for him and started distancing himself from his friends and there was a friend that asked him to uh, Hey, let's hang out together. An old friend from the old past. So I gave him a joint and smoked the joint. Had a beer and then a few more beers. Got drunk. Did that constantly after that. And then he met a beautiful girl and beautiful girl gave herself to him. And kind of helped relieve the experience from his mother's death at that time because of that. And anyway, his experience in uh, Christianity just kind of faded away. 
into the background. And so when somebody might talk to him about his faith, he says, you know, I tried Jesus. And for a little while it was pretty good, but you know what? Uh, it's just good for a while. It's not where I'm at now. I don't really need him. Why did that young man, or a young lady, or an old man, or an old lady, fall away from faith like that? What was behind a spiritual defection? First, probably two good reasons, probably more, but first, he saw spiritual truth as subjective with that kind of answer. It was good then, but I don't need it now. Um, if it makes you feel better, it works for you. Things were going good. Jesus was working for him. But when it turned bad, it was like he didn't need that anymore because he wasn't getting his own needs met. It was based on the subjective feelings. You guys know the difference between objective truth and subjective feelings, right? Subjective is how I feel. Bible is the Word of God. Here's what it says, though, which is objective. So that was the first, probably, reason why that this man spiritually defected. There was a second one. It's that personal happiness is the most important thing in my life. When God, if He exists, makes me happy, then I'm okay with God. But if I'm not happy, I don't really need God. I don't even think that He exists. If He does does exist, He's not making me happy. If He does exist, then I will be happy. I will give Him a try. But whenever He doesn't make me happy, then I don't want any part of Him. That's about man and his happiness. As long as we're happy, it's okay. But was it about God and God's glory? No. That's what matters the most, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice to be happy in Christ, to be blessed, to be joyful. And we are to be those. But that the feeling thing is not to override what we know to be objective truth. Now, what I've just shared with you is a story that you might have experienced with certain people down through the years. It would be something that I have experienced with people going way back many, many, many years ago. Not just one incident, but several. You say, what does this have to do with Jesus' triumphal entry? you got a title up here, New Year Coronation of the King. And what does this have to do with this? Well, actually, everything. <laughs> it has everything to do with it because the idea behind this is how people perceive of Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of perceptions that people have in our day. And you know, you've heard all the different perceptions that people have. Well, looking at this familiar story that we're talking about, this individual, which, which represents no one in particular, but it represents people and how they view Jesus. That's what's happening at the coronation. 
Matter of fact, that's the whole overriding theme that we look at today. It meant different things to different people as he did this. And there were just thousands of people it started with. In a few days, they'll all leave. Matter of fact, most of them are saying crucified because they found out that he didn't come for their reason that they wanted. So, for Jesus, what does his perception of this all mean? This whole triumphant entry. This Palm Sunday. It's kind of interesting. We've gone from Christmas last week to Palm Sunday today. <laughs> well, for Jesus, it's his official presentation to the people that he's the Messiah, he's the King. And they're giving him laud and praise. And that's really what it was about. He is presenting to the nation of Israel, I'm here, I'm the King. He doesn't have to say it, the people are ushering him in. So that's one thought. How about the twelve? Well, they certainly think of him as being the Messiah. That's correct. It's the timing that they have a problem with. They want him immediately to be that king. And then there's the crowd. What do they want? They want him to take over the nation of Israel and conquer Rome, which rules really the world. So that's how they perceive Jesus. When they realize that that's not what he's about, and of course somebody like a Judas is recognizing that he's not here as that great king. So, that's kind of the idea. So this triumphal entry really turns into not-so-triumphant entry if you're looking at it from not the Jesus perspective, but from the way that the average person looks at Jesus. Why were those, was there such a defection in just a few days? Thousands of people defect. Why? It's because people had a wrong conception of Jesus. They wanted Jesus for what He would do for them. If we have that perception, it's wrong. Now, does he do stuff for us? Absolutely. But that's not the primary way that we start with who Jesus is. We start with such a high view of who he is. First, it's a God-centered kind of theology that we need. Not a man-centered theology. The man-centered theology will let you down every time. So, they fell away in a time of difficulty. Whatever, everybody turned against them. The Jewish leaders and the people really questioned who Jesus really was. So what happened? They went along with the crowd. The main reason that we must follow Jesus is because of who 
He is. And not because of what He can do for us. Although that is right at the forefront too. Because He dies for us. And we must see that. It's salvation. But it's not going to come with all just, what, happiness all the time and everything should go perfect. We know better than that. That's why a lot of people defect in the first few weeks. If the gospel is presented correctly, people can't handle what Jesus is and who He is when it's being presented in the way that He is. A lot of people like to present the sweet, mild, loving Jesus in a manger. That's easy. But whenever He says, Lord of all, did you catch the songs that we were singing earlier about the great King? He's Lord of all. And that's one of the main themes that we're working through here because He's showing His deity. He's showing His Lordship. He's showing that He is truly the Christ, the Messiah. So let's look at the sovereign Lordship of Christ today in this presentation of the King and the triumphal entry. Let's uh, grab our Bibles and turn to Luke 19. Verse 28. After it said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away, found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the coat and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as, as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Let's pray. Father, the truth of your word is presenting the King, the Messiah, in all his fullness, in the sense that he has been prophesied, came to earth, presented himself, and as a whole, the nation rejected him. The world rejects you today, Lord. But we want to remain true to you, for we see 
that you are worthy. And you hold lordship over everything. You are sovereign. You are over our lives. And that brings great comfort to us. Because you have it all under control. And so as we look at your word, may we see you in the way that you want us to see you. Not as the way that is such a soft way that presents him in a way that would be different than what the word is presenting. In Jesus' name, amen. What a passage. This triumphal entry. It would be great to be doing this on Palm Sunday. <laughs> and uh, probably not next to New Year's Day. But like I said, it fits in great. Because Passover is the New Year for the religious season. Festivals mark the religious year. We see, first of all, in the verse 28, the route of this triumphant entry. You see, uh, Jesus didn't operate in the dark. Or there were just hearsay stories here and there. See, he did it in a way that there were people around. And in this case, whenever he comes into Jerusalem, he makes sure that there are thousands of people that witness this. It's the week of the Passover. Pilgrims are coming from everywhere. And they're all joining the throngs that are already around Jesus. A lot of them knew who he was, and so they're joining in. As he moves now from that little town of Jericho, it wasn't that little, he moved on up to Jerusalem from Dead Sea area to, which is the lowest spot on the earth, to a high altitude. Jerusalem is an ascension. The crowds, there's not enough inns there. There weren't like over 30 years ago. There were not enough inns for Jesus' day around Jerusalem. They were all filled. Jesus is arriving. Jewish pilgrims are all around. And Josephus, a historian, that recognized that this Jesus lived. See, there are actually people that say that Jesus did not live. He never existed at all. That is not a historical fact whatsoever, what they're saying. Matter of fact, there was a historian who lived at this time by the name of Josephus. Never became a Christian, but he did report about Jesus, not a lot. But he did say there was Jesus, there were followers. He reported at this time there were 250,000 lambs that were slain at the temple. See, at the Passover, you have a lamb for each family or friends that come in. Let's say four to ten people in a household. That's pretty fair, isn't it? Um, if you were to take this and just take small numbers, 250,000 times four gives you a million. There are probably at least a million people here at this time, if not a couple million, in Jerusalem. 
lot of them are coming in now. And this is the end of the journey for Jesus. He's gotten to exactly where he wanted to go. He had it pinpointed it all the way. And ever since uh, Luke chapter 9, I think it's verse 51, he has set his face to go to Jerusalem. He says in 51, when the days were approaching, look at this, for his ascension. Keep that in mind there, ascension. We'll explain that in a moment. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. That this is back months ago. And literally for us it was months ago, wasn't it? Luke 9. Anyway, uh, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Anyway, that was to the Samaritan village. We get the idea there. Um, they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Samaritans, the Jews, people from Judea. Samaritans, Judeans, they didn't get along together. That's why they didn't let him in their household or in their city. So there he is. This is like months ago and he's heading towards Jerusalem. They know that's where he is going. So it's a key fact there. He said he's faced to do that. Now, after all these months, he's down in Jericho, runs into two blind men, Two blind men are healed. They're able to see. In Luke's story, I think he used uh, one. Find out his name was Bartimaeus. Then he visited Zacchaeus, stayed at his house. Zacchaeus became a Christian. Paid people back that he owed because he had taken money from them. So, final leg of the journey. Um... We've taken all those months. Here we are. Now, you remember whenever I said that word ascension? It means to ascend up to Jerusalem. The Hebrew word for that is aliyat. It means to go up, to rise up, to climb up. Pretty easy to get. We just ascend. We know that. His ascension. He's going up to Jerusalem. It's a distance about 18 miles. They're on their way, all the people with him, gathering crowds. And you know what the crowd did as they went to a Passover, as they're walking? They would do the Song of Ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. If you turn to uh, Psalm 120, it's kind of fascinating. Psalm 120... You'll notice it has a little subtitle underneath it. Um, Prayer for deliverance from the treacherous. Or you might have this. You should have this. A song of what? A sense. Does your Bible have that? Yes. Okay. A song of a sense. Look at Psalm 121. A song of a sense. Does yours have that? Yes. Psalm 122. Mm-hmm. Psalm 123. 124, 125, 
131. <laughs> All the way through 134, you will see a song of ascents. As they were ascending to Jerusalem, such as the Passover time, do you know what the crowds are doing? They're singing. <laughs> what a joyous time. This is one of the most glorious things to do is to go to a festival in Jerusalem with your family and friends and all the people gathering together and they're singing as God's people often do, right? And so it's a tradition for a pilgrimage. This is the final lake of the uh, journey. A collection of psalms singing, praising, a display that I believe in God's sovereignty had this designed so that whenever he got to the very hill that was going to go into Jerusalem overlooking it and then he came into Jerusalem they ascended all that way and there they are it crescendo the greatest possible exposure of interest and this news is going to reach to people who want to check this out there are other people who want to kill Jesus, and they're going to see this and hear this. He's here. Guys, get together. We've got to figure this out. Their escalates to killing, uh, their desires to escalate him is now there. His death is what they want. The Lord deemed this to happen. So he knows what he's going into when he goes into this place. But from the outward view to the people, this is just fantastic. Everything's going to be great now. Our deliverance is happening. He's going to save us from Rome. The disciples say, here's the kingdom. Now. It's escalated to this point. Boy, the people are joyous. But they're not going to be so happy when they find out what he's about in his first mission wasn't what they wanted and what they thought. So, we go back to our Luke. Are we getting the picture here? Are you catching the excitement of this atmosphere? Jesus knows full well what's going to go on. And He's looking at the very people who are praising Him now that will be shouting crucify Him in a few days. So there's a preparation for this arrival. The sovereign king is going here and every detail is down to the very nth degree. It's going to come true in the way that he already had designed. He's not entering as a warrior king, is he? No. He's not going to conquer right now. He did come to bring a sacrifice for sin to be taken away from his people. To die, to rise again, to ascend to the heavens. Now, and all of that will come true. Many things will come true, prophecies and such, as this starts right here.
after he'd said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Well, we finally covered that verse, didn't we? When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, or, is that real? Is there a really Mount Olivet? It's still there today. 2,000 years later, it's there. Yeah, everybody knew Mount Olivet, the Mount of Olives. How about Bethany, Bethpage? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Still there. See, Luke is an historian, and he's accurate in everything he writes down. He doesn't just make up towns and villages and people's names and who was king at that time and locations. I mean, it's it's needful to show that this story is true. He's already told that in Luke 1. And the book of Acts, same thing. As he writes to Theophilus, these are the facts that I've gathered. Here we are. So, if you look at uh, Mormonism, they have some lost world over here, and they tell of places that have never been found, no archaeology, and it's just made up people, made up country, made up cities that are in their writings. has no legitimacy to it at all. But we historically can say our documents are correct. Check it out. So that's why these things are there. There are two villages. The Mount of Olives. Bethphage is one of them. It's on the southern slope of the Mount of Olives as it goes down. So if you go on down in that area south, there's Bethpage. There's also another city. That's really a village. I said city, but it's Bethany. It's really about a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Uh, Bethpage means, uh, meant house of unripe figs. <laughs> house, Beth, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Here is Bethpage, house of unripe figs. It's a suburb of Jerusalem. The rabbi said, if you were from that town, uh, you could walk from Jerusalem to Bethpage on the Sabbath, or vice versa. So it was within, you know, like a two-mile radius. They had the Sabbath day journey. It was their own rule that they made up, because you could only walk so far on the Sabbath. That sure cut out a lot of people, didn't it? What did they do with that? They always cut out the people, didn't they? <laughs> they didn't care for them. But anyway, it's real close to Jerusalem. Bethany is real close to Jerusalem. It's located down the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. You have a, let's say this is Jerusalem right here. You have a slope that goes up and then it goes down. You're up the Mount of Olives. You've reached the height. Well, Bethany is just before you get to the Mount of Olives. You can't see Jerusalem from there. But you get up to the top and you look down upon that golden city. Beautiful sight. So there's the two villages. What else do we know about Bethany? Lazarus lived there. A walking ex-dead man. 
literally he had died. Um, go to Luke eleven forty four. I said Luke, I actually meant John. <laughs> and I might do that several times here, going back from Luke to John. Matter of fact, all of this, this story is found in all four of the Gospels. That's how important it is. Uh, 11.44 The man who had died came forth. Verse 43, it identifies as, as Lazarus. Lazarus came forth bound hand and feet with wrappings and his face was wrapped like a with a cloth Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go this is the man who was dead been dead for three days verse 45 therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him I guess so he raised a dead man why wouldn't people believe in him he raised a dead man but some of them went to the Pharisees what are these, whistleblowers? <laughs> Hear that word a lot today, don't you? He told, they told them the things which Jesus had done. Why did they go to the Pharisees? Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing, guys? He didn't say guys. But this man is performing many signs. Yeah, raising people from the dead. If we let him go like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That's why they exist. They have a place. They rule their nation in a sense, religiously. They have a position. And the Romans will take our position away from us. If this man just keeps doing this and everybody starts following... Wow. 48, we read that, right? Go to uh, 57. They say this. Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, that's Jesus, he was to report it so that they might seize him. 